what often becomes a crucial topic in, in Dhamma practice is the quality of effort and energy that um, one has or should have or so on. This is uh, particularly significant that naturally the Sankara is an energetic experience. It has energy in it, the energy of intentionality, volition, the wish to do. I hope this word is Chetana, is, is one of the leading Sankara. Often, sometimes that's the one only thing that's mentioned, though there are other aspects of it. It is really um, so significant because this is where the karma gets created the intention to do, the wish to do, the volition, the selecting and directive. Then there's naturally energy in that. Energy is used in that. It should be straightforward enough, ideally, that we seek our welfare. So why don't we you know, go for that. <laughs> and put everything we have into that. Everything we have into into Dhamma practice. So that we'll arrive at the most fortunate conclusions. Mm-hmm. But of course, it isn't quite as simple as that. Because the, the Sankara of intention also carries the, well, the Kama Vipaka, or the results... Um, so as I've suggested, you know, to try to make that clear again, Sankara is both the um, the creator, you know, the track carver, that which lays down a direction, and also it, it accumulates tendencies. So it, it doesn't just create a track, it creates a track in a particular way, and a particular velocity to it. So the way is could be ethical. Mm. Um, it could also be confused. Mm. The energy could be steady or compulsive. And this energy to do, naturally, for many people, obviously in many ways is, is that which is associated with our any way of life. We do things. And uh, this energy to do gets bound up with um, performance, to do well, to do better, in fact, to keep improving, progressing. So this particular view gets placed on that, and then we are, what would that be? What would be better? Of course, fill in the blank. But it's certainly better than where you are now. Otherwise it wouldn't be better, would it? <laughs> and so, and then naturally this particular viewpoint called becoming, which takes a shape, gives us a, a form, a, a kind of form in time. I am forming in this particular way. My mind is taking this particular bent. 
this particular turn, this particular direction, it's forming. The mind acquires a particular subtle form. And then if we're using this, that form becomes um, more clearly or more, more firmly defined dependent upon the nature of one's intention and the nature of one's attention. So if we are, when we come into doing our, depending what your work is, then to do better is generally assessed to, to achieve the results of the employer. And then, then of course, we're recognizing, oh, this is where it's going to become, you know, not mo- not for my well-being, but for the well p- employer's productivity, or to conform to the the system that's being operated. So it's become removed from something one actually directly apprehends and senses and able to negotiate for oneself. The mind takes a particular shape which is um, not related to my welfare at all, or only only as an idea. It's not directly related to my welfare, it's related to the job in, in hand. So it takes that, and that shape, that trajectory, that becoming is aimed like an arrow further onwards towards something we we don't know because it's already left home it's left our bodies it's left our hearts it's gone to some notion so it extends and uh, and of course the more energy one puts down through that channel then the, the firmer and harder the shape of the mind becomes it becomes quite insensitive it becomes very sharply defined in terms of the the goal orientation and we can witness this in everyday life how impervious people become when they're very much involved with their getting on in the world in the workaday world the higher the speed the more the, the um, further the goal on is, the nature of the imperative makes the mind sharper and harder and more impervious to the here and now, and even impervious to the person whose mind it's, whose energies it's using, as well as to you know phenomena arising, dependently arising in the present. So we can certainly acknowledge, at least I can see this happening a lot. So when our energy has been used that way or developed that way, it gets, it's, then the whole pro- practice of using energy and using intentionality is something that becomes quite suspect. Because if it has been habituated into leaving home base for some notional goal which is set down by some structure, some 
business, some company, some thing I should do. Kind of like an unnegotiable voice, you might say. It becomes habituated into doing that. And then we become so used to leaving home, leaving home base, this body, this, you know, one's own heart, that, uh, you know, when you start, then you easily transfer that to to meditation. The boss is the Buddha. Looking, looking at you with a sense of, come on, you know, you've had, come on, come up to it, come to scratch. You're supposed to be, yeah. The job is get meditating, and then arrive at these particular standards and benchmarks, and keep progressing on ever upwards, straight line, quick as possible. And then the Buddha, way you know, you can't negotiate with him at all. A few arahants, they're also way over the horizon. And you're running along, trying to, you know, keep up to this and feeling a bit guilty that one isn't able to attain these marvellous states that that one has read about or heard about. And then at a certain point, you think, oh, well, I might say something rather impolite about the whole thing altogether. (laughs) I quit. (laughs) Is 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 it really worth it? And even on a, like even on a somatic level, on a body level, you know, once you start to say, "Well, let's pour some, pour some, pour some effort," if you're something, you go, "Oh no, tighten up, mm. practice diligently." Mm. So these these are well, I don't know how it's for you, but uh, the, you get your sense sense of becoming. Uh, you know, checking out is one becoming impervious, impermeable, not just open to situations around you. Is your body unbalanced, uh, tense, tight, face, eyes, head? Mm. And is one's response to that situation one of trying harder to get out of it? to overcome these difficulties and feeling rather sheepish and and inadequate for having any in the first place and not being able to get out of them. Then we come into this, you know, tangle of it all. Because perhaps the blueprint around effort is not, is the wrong one, the wrong blueprint, the wrong... Um, mode of operation. Mm-hmm. It's caught up with intentionalities, sankharas, volitional formations that are really not in touch with the home base, the heart, the body, the embodiment. Mm. And often this is kind of why we meditate in the first place, is because we're just getting stressed out from our, our lifestyles. So what is the unstressing? What kind of intention 
what inclination, what volition, if any, is needed to de-stress, just to come out of that, and not just to superficially de-stress, like sit down and relax and not get busy, but actually go into the deep tissue stress of compulsive activation, so we jump a lot, or even, you know, the psychological stress, psychologically stressing ourselves, constantly creating high standards to come up to, or any standard to come up to, always feeling that we are somewhere we shouldn't be, and we should be somewhere else, where we are, where I'm experiencing right now is wrong, and I should be experiencing something else. So this can only be stressful, can't it? Um, taken as a model for action to get to. And then even gets physically, physiologically embedded when we get highly charged uh, nervous energies which can impact into the tissues. Mm. So, and then the Buddha is saying, you know, Vayamo is uh, Samoyamo, right application, um, and Virya, energy. And there are there are a number of terms. Bahana is another one, which means a, de- a determined or dis- dis- discerning, like a de- an effort that's accompanied with a particular, you know. Um, discernment. So the effort is to put aside what's unwholesome, to keep putting it aside, to shield the mind from unwholesome influences, and uh, to sustain, to lift up what fit, what is appropriate and good and nourishing, and to keep bearing it up and to keep picking it up. These are the four right efforts. And I think that's totally valid, but to to just to recognize what the unwholesome is. Perhaps is the unwholesome uh, the very way in which we practice? Uh, having, um, you know, a, a quality of effort and application that's out of touch with where we're coming from, what needs to be addressed. Is this, wouldn't this be considered unwholesome? I would think I would say yes. It's not just about morality, but uh, uh, kindness, kindness and sympathy, just fundamental resonance with where one is at at the, this moment. Not saying that this is by any means the optimal state, but that that first thought has to be resonated with, so that your intention is touching into that rather than into where we should be. You see what I mean? If one's intentionality, one's volition has been so attuned to to the the goal or the better standard or getting things done or getting there quicker or making sure one is okay. If that blueprint has been established, and it can be to a degree to some people, some people very profoundly etched in, that that has not in touch it is not resonant with the being. It's resonant with becoming. <laughs> it's not resonant with chitta. It's not resonant with embodiment. It's resonant with ideal, virtual, imagined uh, 
So it has to first of all learn to get resonant with home base. Like actually get get learn how to start to where to start from, right? So we don't start from the ideal. We start from getting in touch with what's where what's here, where we're at. And until that is accomplished and made as this must be the place we work from, how is it going to go anywhere? How is it going to unfold? If what has to be learned, studied, released, purified, however you want to call it, is this basic body-mind thing, this where chitta is, where our subjectivity is nestled, where our sensitivities are there, where we can acknowledge this is what sentiency feels like. This is what it's like to be alive. And there's a kind of, aha, uh-huh, me, yeah, this. Uh, yeah. Until we make that, must always be somewhere where you've got to t- check in with that. And make your first intention is to just keep checking in with that. It doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be understandable. You just have to be aware of it, resonate with it. It feels like this. And to, you know, using this property of chitta just as as awareness and the ability to be sensitive to, and then that's it. In terms of what one does, but then chitta itself is not stupid. It's not immobile. It's not frozen. It can get that way if we neglect it. It can get that. It can get. Oh, it doesn't develop. It becomes numbed or uh, hobbled by the uh, number of times we miss checking in with it. You know, if we don't, if we don't live from the heart, then we're not bringing our energy our, into that quality. Our heart's not involved with our life. So it's, 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 we, and this can happen whereby one is living out of one's heart, away from it. I'm just using heart as a simple word for chitta, out of one's meaning base, out of one's deep feeling, out of one's sense of subjectivity, out of, you know, one's value place. Mm-hmm. Out of that which can resonate rather than just react and move forward. So this is this this base has to be known. Has to be stumbled towards, has to be known, has to be touched and many times. So that because that's the that's the being. That's if you like to call it a being, I know it's suspect. But that quality of heart, that is, that's what moves through this and sheds its confusions and its its ignorance and its recklessness and its despair. So until we get in touch with that, we haven't even got the the thing, we haven't even started anywhere. this This is the whole point is to liberate this. And if we never really know what it is, 
what are we doing? Just following books and ideas out of good intention maybe. It sounds good. It makes sense. But to make it one's own sense. That means you've got to touch into citta, into awareness, into into the very embodied state. So it's not just the thought. It's got that sense of the resonance occurs, you, you feel it. And there's a certain energy that uh, ripples when you, when you get into that, when you touch that, when, when that, that wakes up. Here I am. I'm sentient. I'm alive. I'm sensitive. This moment and this point can be so uh, naked that we can hardly bear it. It can be very beautiful, but often it's a sort of, oh, because, you know, what we live in, sense realm, social realm, realm of future, realm of don't know, the realm of blame, the realm of have to do things, where we're, we've come into this, we're sentient in this, input's going to happen, we're going to feel things, uh, you know, stuff's going to come out of left field. Hmm. And I don't know what to do to make it safe and comfortable and okay. I don't know what to do. What should I do? Feel, you know, so what should I do? And hurry up, tell me what to do quickly, I'll get on with it. No, that isn't the way to do it. <laughs> I know, and you know, one sympathize with the sense, but. Um, just this deepen the sense of presence and try to feel it that that opening that awakeness that sense of aha in the body breathe you know. and first we establish the quality of here and now here and now safe future impossible other people impossible yeah. Can, cannot be done. But this possible. So I'd say this is the primary meditation, taking refuge, we could say it. Much more than just um, saying some words. But you can take the words over and over again, listen to the meaning of it, you can do that by all means until the words have done their work and the meaning of shelter, safe, you know, and sense of Buddha, look, you know, this awakening and this practice and this path is given for my welfare. Just the sense of receiving the gift before we get going on it, just the sense of this has been given. That's it, you know.
and you pick it up wherever you get the the possibility, wherever the opening occurs. And the openings are very many. To do good, refrain from doing evil is not that narrow a definition. You know, it's and so we the thousand and one choices that we can make, and we just keep that thing in mind, and then you're going to find out virtue, you're going to find out generosity, you're going to find out sharing, you're going to consider, you know, and so you can build up a bit of a feedback loop, as I've mentioned before. And one is very much encouraged just to keep nourishing that 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 turning. Uh, and to really bring it into mind and be aware of it and to feel the results. Anamodana, we say, is the, is the phrase that, that is used that um, in Buddhist circles. It means, uh, anu means in the presence of or together with moditi, which is to do with mudita. Appreciative gladness in the presence of you, the presence of your good deed, in the presence of that particular action or intention or non-action that brought good results. And more than a, you know, raise it up, enjoy, soak it up, get a feeling for it. So, the, and there's, there's this constant encouragement to to cultivate and to no one's cultivating, no one has cultivated a skillful act of or or even the refusal to act in unwholesome ways, or even the refusal to act recklessly, act upon fear, act upon uh, ill will, yeah, towards oneself or others, even the refusal to act upon that, and I'm more than us. <laughs> well done. Yeah. And so this then gives us something. You want to do something, do that. Yeah. So this is still distinctly you know, furthering because it gives us you know, the place where energy has to start from and effort has to start from is the place called sadha, faith. Sadhar is very much the heart quality of um, a recognition there's potential. And if the potential just means to refuse to act in unskillful ways and you fulfill that, bear that in mind. You get a sense of, yes, I'm a, I, can, I have the power to do that, to sense the you know, aversion or despair or greed and just say, no, that's present. I'm not, I'm not getting on board with that one. And so even the, naturally these, these, these flavorings, these, these tendencies can be there and they're not, they're not very agreeable and we can feel annoyed or disgusted or ashamed by them. But bear in mind that these are, these potentials or, or tendencies by themselves are not only become uh, activated when you decisively act upon them. 
So there's always the jitta in its unawakened state is still living in with this, these potentials, still abiding with these potentials are still there, and they're, they're flickering and blurring and, and sweeping over the jitta, you know, thatness which wishes to dismiss or grab or rebuke or whatever, the potentials are there. It's not very pleasant atmosphere. Mm. But then if you're just making that clear resolution, well, I'm not going to act on any of this, and you say it to yourself, and you remember it, and you keep bearing in mind the, the will to not do. That's a skillful effort. And if you recognize that that intentionality to not do, and bear that in mind, there's a certain power in it. And you, that's faith, and you get confident. You gain confidence. So sadha is both a quality of openness, whereby for, with sadha, with faith, we, if you like, we disconnect from our our uh, habitual uh, trajectories and tendencies, and it's open. And then it becomes more decisive when we. Uh, are able to discern um, an intention or a state that we either feel, yeah, this feels more authentic, more appropriate, fitting, and this one is not suitable. And then that that makes one's faith becomes uh, confidence. Now we need this, these, these what are called the, the spiritual indriyas, sadda, virya, sati, samadhi, panya, and they're really all operating. Uh, the indriyas, in other words, they're as much a part of our makeup as the ability to smell something, taste something. Yeah, they're as much built in, but they clearly don't get activated very much. They're, they're potential authorities, but whether one has the opportunity or you know, whether those heart qualities are given some time, some energy, some attention, that, of course, that's not determined. It's up to us to to name, to recognize, to touch into. Where is my faith? Where is my openness? Where is my sense of something could be good in this present moment? Not in the future, but now. We don't know what it is. But then you you start, you know, where does your energy gather? Where is your inspiration? So faith is also inspiration, isn't it? Inspiration, aspiration. Where does one's inspiration, where does one's jitta rise? And this is why it's very 
mentioned many times in in the, in the scriptures, and again, we, you know, evening chanting, morning chanting, a blessed one has arisen in the world. Clearly, these formulaic statements, after all, become a bit neutral, neutralized. Mm. So, you know, we, there is a way out of suffering. They teach the way out of suffering, the way out of stress. They tell the truth. They don't say it's easy. They tell the truth. And, they, and the qualities of the Buddha always tell the truth. Says what's profitable that you will receive benefit from. Does not say what's not unprofitable. Mm. says what you can do, doesn't say what you can't do, what's impossible. So they teach what's true and what's good for your welfare and what you can do. That's why the teachings are vast, because it's saying we're teaching many kinds of people and finding out their specific potentials of what this one could you know, rise up to. So you listen to a lot of these things and you where, do, where does your faith light up? Your sense of, you yeah, know, I could do that. Hmm. So when we cultivate the whole path, then we're, we're doing this cultivation of dana, sila, generosity, uh, kind, uh, virtue, goodwill and so forth. And so often in, in the teachings, the Buddha asks someone, what do you think about this? Does that seem good to you? Oh yeah, then do that. Linger in it, dwell in it, savor it, make much of it, take it in. There's your beginning of your feedback loop. Stay with it. And so there's a certain building up of, of um, energy. Because instead of the mind running out into nowhere land, it's any intention snaking off over the horizon into the virtual. Uh, you, they stay at home base. And you start warming up the home base. Little patches of it, little corners, little areas that you've begun to, you know, this is where you know, I, can, I can be with myself. This is where I can meet myself. This is where I don't run away. This is where, you know, I can, uh, you know, stand, sit, be present. And the path factor is most uh, crucial is the ability to maintain that faith and inspiration in the presence of dukkha, troublesome states, troublesome experiences. So it's when that's present that we have tremendous... uh, potential to to release dukkha. Because dukkha has a, has a direct dynamic experience rather than a general you know, uh, unsatisfactory or mortal nature of existence but as some, something, the psychological generation of dukkha, 
is constantly being generated through uh, uh, ignorance, through through not seeing, through ignorance, through occlusion, through hindrances, through the mind leaking, running out into wrong directions. So by itself it doesn't stand up unless it's constantly regenerated. So like the the dukkha that we can resolve is not a fixed thing. It's a set of programs. It's dynamically recreated by our psychologies of craving, ill will. Fundamentally, uh, craving, craving to be, craving to have, craving to get away from, you know, this kind of feverish rush that occurs, the push, the pressure of it. So that craving generates dukkha. Energy runs into that direction. And there's something reflexive about it. Craving, in this sense, is not a choice. You don't decide to crave. You can certainly, you know, wish for something as a conscious decision. You could be motivated towards something. But craving is not of that nature. Craving is like, literally the word means thirst. Tanha. You don't decide to be thirsty. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's, it's that reflexive. But it still is, but it still is dynamic, and it has a cause. What is the cause? What is the, re- the source of craving? Is uh, ignorance, not seeing things clearly, not noticing chitta, uh, not f- taking refuge, mm. Mm. flooding, rushing out. into the sense realm, into consciousness, into the world of space and time, flooding it, rushing out, into those ungraspable, unfulfilling, unachievable phenomena, phenomenal world, and they become as real as one's energy makes them. And as we can see very clearly, obviously for Many people, that realm is absolutely rock solid. Uh, that's all there is. It's just the world of future and material and sensory, sensory gratification and so on. And that, that becomes the real solid thing, which people, you know, it's as solid as one's energy and one's mind makes it. And for for some people, that's no longer the case. They, something has faded. Something has changed. They've had enough. It's not working. Mm. They're doing all the right things. It's not working. They've had enough. It's called nipita. One is disenchanted. It's a significant word. Disenchanted it means the the spells wearing off. Maybe you just had enough. <laughs> yeah. And so 
then, of course, this is, because in Dhamma times, this is considered great. You say you're really fed up. Oh, great. Bored with it all. Excellent. Getting ready. <laughs> so in this sense, this this angst, this it doesn't work, it's not troublesome, now that is considered to be the first realization of dukkha. Yeah, uh, of which where faith can arise it's not working therefore there has to be a turning there has to be a shift in modality yeah. and first of all you maybe just turn to well something else I could you know and then, no that's not working either well where is it then it's in you know turning back to that which we're craving issues from and begin to throw some light into that. Craving issues from uh, attachment or fixation on what? Feeling, form, sense consciousness, um, perceptions. And we begin to review, even intellectually, just, just think it over. See, not so, not substantial, not solid not providing satisfaction and not even myself just stuff that's happening yeah. and so the, the spell wears off and so there can be an arising of faith by touching into this dukkha to the point where at least one is no longer pumping more energy in that direction as a reflex. The reflex becomes something we have some, is no longer just locked into a reflex, it becomes something we have some say over. Maybe not much say, but some. The act of faith or the, the manifestation experience of faith is the, the aha moment when even you go, aha, it doesn't work. Aha. Something you opens up and you drop the preoccupation. You know, there's a sense something happens in the in the mind where this is the place where the beginning of a of a primary sympathy occurs there's a resonance something feels something shifts something tingles something urges something vibrates something resonates anukampa the certain resonance occurs uh, and it's the f- time when we find ourselves or experience ourselves as being deeply alive uh, in us in ourselves you know intimately alive not lit up by some obsession, not lit up by something happening, not lit up by, you know, praise, success and so forth, but somehow quietly illuminated in in presence. It's maybe nowhere near as strong and, and intense as the illuminations we get from Craving and uh, and becoming—it's a quieter, silent 
softer. But even the shift from the intensities of the forward direction, the intensities of acquisition, the intensities of those reflexes, is something else here that's quieter, softly glowing, brings me back home. The quality of a happiness that's the happiness of taking a weight off your back. Not the happiness of burrowing into something, but the happiness of taking off the burden. And these are often not long duration, these, these realization moments. And the burden could be the burden of one's constant need to be something. Constant need to be running forward. Constant need to be succeeding. Constant need to be approved of or something. You just have to, oh, enough. And that, that, yeah. Uh, that's, that's fantastic. And to, I'm sure that this, these, these realizations, you may not verbalize it, you may not agree with me, but you're, you're here because of that. You mean, you know, as to how that's happened for you. You've seen something. You've seen people die. You've seen people struggle. You've seen people with addictions. And you're saying, geez. And you've resonated with it. Mm, sentient being. Mm. And you've got it. <laughs> and you felt some sympathy. Yeah. And you resonated with it, or you suddenly looked at yourself and hey, where are you going? And you, uh huh, you resonated with it. You look where you're going. This is not working. And you got that resonance of, uh huh, oh God, you know. <laughs> where, where, yeah. Or maybe you've seen something that, that has, a, has a beautiful light to it, like a being who seems free, or freer, or isn't going into these compulsive habits. You know, wow, that's cool. You know, what, what's all, you know. Or you've seen that. Or you just even sometimes, for me, even uh, seeing the image of a Buddha. What's that? Or the face. What's that? He's not preaching at me. He's not telling me to do anything. He's not, he's just happy in this very cool, peaceful way. And something goes, uh uh-huh, I'm not. But that means something. I don't know how these arisings of faith occur for people, but I would suggest there's always the resonance whereby we rise, and the jitta lifts, and jitta rises, and there's a rising of energy into the wholesome into the Dhamma. So this is the, you know, this is the primary arising whereby energy is now becoming dhammic, of the nature of Dhamma, the nature of realization, the nature of path. And we're really encouraging to, to come to that and re- spark it, you know, why we have daily pujas and so forth, is just to keep 
lighting the candle yet again. Light the candle again, and where does it arise? And linger. Before we do anything more than that. After our morning puja, it's not. It's whatever. You know, it's not. Uh, it's like we just light the candle and, and hear the voices and sit there. <laughs> uh, you know how the, what happens for you? It's your time to just warm yourself into 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 the day. To warm yourself into the day, and to maybe get a sense of shared presence and softness and no intense just warming yourself into the day you get the sense of what resonance is because this, this is so to me this is so crucial until there's that resonant quality I'm not really touching in to my my chitta I may come in with all kinds of very good ideas about you know mindfulness and so forth and they're all good good ideas but until I've lit the candle of my chitta it's just thin air and if I then if I do light the candle if I do light the chitta even a tiny little bit of dumb instruction, you find that it's fruitful, it's purposeful, it's, yeah, you take a little bit and you take it deep, and you let your body feel it, and you breathe it into your body, and you linger in it, taking the qualities. As we meet struggle and difficulty in our experience, it can be just physical illness, um, energetic imbalances, psychological issues and so forth, you know. Then the, with the hindrances, you know, the five, and recognize that the killer is doubt. And they all really come down to that. The sense of aversion or craving or restlessness or dullness and so forth, sleepiness. All those, you know, potentials um, in their various motley forms and and mixtures. The potential is there, but the the killer punch is is doubt when the faith is gone. So that that mm, doubt isn't a lack of information; it's just the, the the snap where the faith is lost, because one has identified with the hindrance, because one has become enmeshed in it, because it seems so much me. It's my voice, it's my images, it's my patterns, it's my memories illuminating that hindrance. So then I am the hindrance. <laughs> yeah. And there may be more than one who's got a fistful. Uh, and so then this gets very difficult. 
So our first movement in these is just this. So that's that's why they're named. If you can name it, you can name it. If you can say it, then you you're not it. If you can name it, as that's that, then that which does the naming has has to step back to name it. And this is a, if you like, a, a very uh, crucial element in in our practice is to be able to if you, remember if you say it, you don't become. If you don't say it, you become it because the mind adopts it. So even this rather ungratifying process of just naming and and resonating that which is which is affected by these qualities. So. This is the quality of ill will. And then, okay, and then how am I being affected with that? And then a sense of sympathy for that which is affected. This is, uh, and the Buddha, in describing these hindrances, often use an image. He's saying you're looking into a pool, and this pool is just smothered with stinking slime. <laughs> and I've forgotten which hindrance this was, but they're all pretty graphic. You know, one's kind of turbulent and bubbling and seething. This is passion, sense, desire, or it's all murky and cloudy. It's for dullness, uh, and so that um, the sense is that one is is beginning to clear. You know, so we, we still see that fundamentally, the the pool itself is just occluded by these things. You know, the slime grows on the pond. The bubbling is because of heating up of the of the water. The water itself is not that. It gets smothered with it. So it's just to keep you know recognizing the water, the chitta that's affected, as in the satipatthana. This is the chitta affected by ill will, aversion, fear, doubt. So it's it's place there and you know another striking image the Buddha uses which is quite seminal and crucial to our understanding of why are all these defilements placed out there I mean is, is it that bad I mean it sounds kind of miserable the amount of muck you've got in your jitta <laughs> yeah. but it's compassionate because the sense is that every one of these oh this is not this thing that does occur for people, and it, you know, the Buddha is pretty truthful about it. If you can name it, for sure it's not self, because if there's a word for it, somebody else has got it. And these words are very simple words. They're not that esoteric. You mean, in fact, everybody's got it. <laughs> so, so then that is a quality then. And then what is it that's affected by that? And the image he uses, say, a a young woman, beautiful, or a young man, handsome, is got this kind of dead dog or a dead snake wrapped round their neck. Ugh, this is not worthy of me. What am I doing carrying this thing? And they're able to by looking at it with a mind. But also, the person himself is quite beautiful. And this is the, this is a reflection on on chitta. And chitta is quite beautiful. But it does get obstructed by these occlusive stuff that sticks to it. So even in knowing that, we may not be able to 
get that thing off our neck, but at least we are keeping faith with our citta. There's a way, there's a way somewhere, there's a way somewhere, there's a way somewhere to, you know? And uh, then we take, why don't I cultivate goodwill? Why don't I remember those who have expressed goodwill towards me? Why don't I let myself be touched by that? Why don't I let my chitta be touched by those, the feeling of people I admire or respect or grateful to? Why don't I just let my chitta be touched by that? So by dwelling in the beautiful, the ugly falls off because we no longer put energy into it. You know, we no longer get mesmerized by it. We're no longer hypnotized by it. We're no longer fixated on what a mess I am. <laughs> yeah. Instead, we, we incline to the good and resonate with it. A specific good, not the idea of the good, but for you, in your life, in your jitta, where that's occurred, your images, yeah, the ones that you know, that resonate for you. And you just keep staying with that. So the faith is there. The energy then collects into the good. Because that's where your jitta is, is going. And jitta carries intentionality in it without any further effort. You know, it's not, intentionality is not something you have to do. You, you can, but jitta is intentional. So it carries this quality of, of inclination in it. And you can trust that. So, sure, when you, you come into sensing the good, and your, your inclination inclines towards that, your first direction is just look, stay in it, linger in it, feed upon it, get strong in it. Then you may be able to direct it more consciously in certain ways. So there's the image of the goldsmith whereby you get this rough, crude ore and you heat it up and you cook it. So then all the, then you sweep away the dross and then this beautiful metal that you're left with, you can then make jewellery or ornaments out of it. But the aim, first of all, is that's when we say well, conscious, um, directed intention towards some, you know. Your first intention is to dwell upon and, and feed and nourish and resonate with the good. And then this helps by itself to deactivate those reflex energies, those compulsive energies that move towards generating suffering and stress. In the hindrances, for example. So, that which was habituated, that which was locked in place, that which seems so much me, that which is actually, it was physiologically present. Yeah. With their active, this is pliable, this is workable, this is something we can melt. Dukkha then it is possible to understand and bring it to an end. You understand it by no longer acting upon it, potentizing in it, believing in it, inclining towards in it, towards it, even giving it too much attention. Or your intention is just to say, that's not where you need to be. 
put your interest, so put your interest, chanda, chanda virya, another sequence of, of, of faculties, chanda virya chitta vimaksa, put your interest, your motivation, this all develop, this all bring your energy, warms up, chitta, bring it fully into awareness and intention, vimaksa, investigate, figure out what to do from there once the jitta is replenished. So that initial quality of volition, we might say, is just taking a deep interest uh, in our heart, uh, in, in being present, in this moment when we... we mm, recognize you know, these these directives, these habits are not me. Mm-hmm. There's this resonating with one's subjectivity mm-hmm. and getting interested in it, uh, lingering in it. Let your breathing drop into it. Make much of it. Mm-hmm. Keep you, you know, using this as a touchstone where you repel the force of Mara, which always wants to attack faith. Mara's primary and fundamental weapon is doubt, to attack the faith, so that the whole thing collapses. So we keep orienting around the most important feature is to sustain faith, sustain confidence, sustain confidence in citta. And then we, when that's there, there's a probably you know, there's going to be a natural warming, an inclination to, you know, to rise, and then move, you know, put aside that burden, um, relinquish that, uh, make much of this, and so the intentionality forms from the place where the citta is arising with faith. So you don't have to push it. As probably as you <laughs> recognize <laughs> you know, from the, my general take on things is is that the uh, when the, that quality arises to f- to feel it in your body <laughs> and to f- feel where it sits in your body or in your embodiment there's a warming effect a stabilizing effect a safety place and then you from there you start to move into, you know, touching the more difficult places uh, with presence and awareness. So, it's enough for now.